Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the country. The phone number 877-973-7425. Delighted to have you with me here today. Well, we have to begin the post-mortem today, don't we? We can probably cover it all just here today. What actually happened? Where was the red wave? Where was the doom everyone was expecting? And by the way, it is worth noting we actually were expecting it. Everyone, including the Democrats, were expecting there to be a red wave. The Democrats were already making plans to toss, for example, Ron Klain as White House Chief of Staff. The New York Times had its hit jobs on Joe Biden geared up. Where was it? What happened? Well, I've been looking at all the numbers. I got it wrong. I was telling Democrats on this program doom was coming and all the data showed it was. The Democratic behaviors showed it was. The Republican behaviors showed it was. It's nice, however, to feel like I wasn't out on a limb here. Literally everybody, uh, with the exception of the the perennial uh, contrarians, there are always these people who are contrarians. If everybody goes in one direction, they go in the opposite, and they always play down when they're wrong, which they usually are, but when they get it right, they scream very loudly and say, look at me, look at me, look at me, I got it right. Yes, they got it right this time. Overwhelmingly, however, All of the major prognosticators out there, the media polling was close. In fact, the media polling got it better than the polling for the GOP. But what was so interesting is just how the final voting rolled in. And we actually got to see what the voters actually thought. We have the real data now. First of all, you need to understand where the data comes from to understand what happened, how all of us got it wrong, Democrat, Republican alike. And the data comes from studying the exit polling and surveys of the people who actually voted. Now, the exit polls are, they're still polls, but they're fairly reliable polls in large part because they are done at early voting locations. Absentee balloters are tracked down. We know who they are and they they are surveyed. We have the real sense of who voted. Are they black? Are they white? Are they Hispanic? Are they male? Are they female? Are they Asian? So you can conform the survey to precisely who is voting. And then, of course, they go to polling locations around the country, and they survey the voters in those locations who agree to participate, and they make sure that they model it based on who is actually there voting in real time so they can see it. And then after the election is over, people can be touched who were voted and missed in the survey and followed up. So instead of a a thousand people survey, you have tens or hundreds of thousands of people who participate around the country, participating in building. There are several groups that do it. Edison Research is the most famous. They tend to do it for the major media consortium. Fox News now does its own, I think, with the Associated Press, but remarkably, they always come out to the same data. This year in particular, everybody who did exit polling came out with the same information. It is the data that the parties study afterwards to see what went wrong in addition to their supplemental materials. What we are finding is something that everybody missed. Our theory of the election that it's the economy stupid was right. 
The problem, however, is that the Democrats' theory of the election, the Republicans are crazy, was also right. And the voters dislike the Democrats. The overwhelming data coming from people who actually voted is they really hate the Democratic Party. They don't like Joe Biden. They don't like the Democrats. They don't like their policies. They don't like the state of the country. They don't like the economy. They don't like the culture battles of progressives. But what we on our side missed is that they don't like us either. Except there are some they do. And by who won and who lost, we can kind of tell where to go forward. What the voters actually suggested in the election is that they actually are tired of the Democrats and the wokes and the left and the bad economy, but they weren't sure the Republicans would give them anything other than chaos. So they would rather the stability of a status quo they can work around than the instability of more chaos. Voters are tired of disruption. And Republicans, the loud ones, promised disruption. And they all lost. At a pretty staggering rate, they all lost. The Republicans who campaigned on the economy and crime over culture war issues actually did fairly well. The Republicans who separated themselves from Donald Trump did fairly well. Around the country, we can see a path forward for Republicans, but unfortunately, you do have to move on from Donald Trump. You can get Trump's policies. You just can't get Trump or people who act like him. Now, I need to stop here and I need to say something that we all have our biases in interpreting the data and people who are very pro-Trump will say, well, you hate him to begin with, so of course you would come to that conclusion. I at least have data to back up my opinion here. In Ohio, J.D. Vance, who is presumed to be Trump's guy, won, barely. The Republicans in Washington had to spend millions of dollars for him and deprived other races of that money. Uh, The Republicans in Ohio who were not perceived as being pro-Trump won 20 points higher than J.D. Vance. Mike DeWine, the incumbent governor, blew it out of the water there. In Arizona, that's the big one. Blake Masters did worse than Kerry Lake. For the people who say that, well, it's stolen and tanky-panky, what you need to know is that there are nine congressional districts in Arizona, and the Republicans are going to sweep through most of them. And won the state treasurer's race with someone who is very vocally anti-Trump. The Republicans in Arizona turned out They just turned out to vote against Kerry Lake and Blake Masters. They underperformed every other Republican on the ballot in every precinct in Arizona. In North Carolina, Ted Budd, who I know, I like, he's a friend. He underperformed state-level Republicans statewide. Ted Budd did. He was perceived as being too tied to Donald Trump. And then in Pennsylvania, it's very likely Dr. Oz could have won had uh, Mastriano not been the Republican gubernatorial candidate. There clearly was an anti-GOP vote of Republican voters. Here's what the data actually says. For the first time in four election cycles and the first time in a midterm since 2002, Republicans lost the independent vote. Independents normally go with the party out of power. In 2020, they went with the party out of power. In 2018, they went with the party out of power. In 2016, they went with the party out of power. In uh, 2014, they went with the party out of power. In 2012, they went with the party out of power. 
They lost. Actually, I take that back. In 2012, independents went with Obama over Romney. In 2022, independent voters, a majority of them went Democrat. Republicans still could have won because they only went with Democrats by a point. But Republicans lost 13% of their own voters to the Democrats. I need you to hear that again. For the people who think Donald Trump doesn't really matter, Republicans lost the Republican voters by 13% nationwide. Now, there are some spinning this today saying, well, that wasn't actually Republicans nationwide. That was coastal Republicans. Actually, it was Republicans across the country saw Republican voters voting for the Democrats. Wasn't a majority. It was only 13%. But when you lost independence by a point, losing Republicans by 13 points matters. In Georgia, Republicans voted for Raphael Warnock and Brian Kemp, or they didn't vote for the Senate at all. Republicans in Pennsylvania voted for Josh Shapiro, the Democratic governor, and at least 10% voted for John Fetterman over Dr. Oz. In Arizona, Republicans voted for the Democrats. Interestingly enough, at the congressional level, in Arizona, Republicans voted Republican. You got problems with your own voters. Sorry, getting over cold. Republicans have problems with Republican voters who are ready to move on from Donald Trump. Candidates also mattered greatly. Everywhere there was a prominent election denier, someone who made their campaign about denying the election in 2020 was legit, they lost. You may think the election was stolen, but any Republican who ran who made that a central part of their platform lost. Candidate quality matters. It mattered in Georgia where Herschel Walker is now at a runoff and Republicans are not optimistic he can win uh, because of his personal foibles. I got to tell you, I know a lot of Republicans. I don't know a single one who's excited about going out and voting again, particularly when the Republicans have now lost the Senate. Why bother? Republicans are going to have to make that case. They're going to try. Candidate quality mattered. Abortion mattered as well. Abortion actually mattered way more than I thought abortion would matter. In swing states, in swing districts, women, overwhelmingly single women, shifted to the Democrats more than they had before. There was a massive swing to the Democrats by single women. It would not have been enough for the Democrats to win these swing districts, except they lost 13, Republicans lost 13% of Republicans, and they lost a majority of independents as well. Combined with that, that's why you had no red wave. It was the message as well. And and this is something I've long thought the challenger party didn't need a message. It turns out this year the GOP did need a message. And one of the messages the GOP uh, put forward was from Rick Scott of the Senate, and that was tax hikes on the middle class for social benefits. That did not go over well with people. The Democrats used it to demonize Republicans, and independent voters found it persuasive. Rick Scott's message actually undermined Republicans around the country. The election denial is the message hurt too. But there were real silver linings for the GOP as well. And this is where you can see a path forward for the GOP. Republicans who focused on good stewardship of the economy won everywhere. 
Republican challengers who campaigned on crime and the economy, not on culture issues or the election, they won. Republicans will save their House majority, and they will have the House majority. Probably we will confirm it by Wednesday this week. Republicans will have a very slim House majority. Republicans won in deep blue parts of the country in New York State, among others, because they campaigned on the economy and crime. And Lee Zeldin, who lost, saved a lot of those seats. And the message was not Trump. It was not election denialism. It was the economy and crime. New York overall saw a shift in every single case county in the state towards the GOP on the issues of the economy and crime. The Florida wave kind of overshadowed everything else, and the Florida numbers are one reason the wave really did look to be big across the country, and it was Ron DeSantis, not Ron DeSantis the culture warrior, Ron DeSantis the good steward of Florida's economy who won. As I have said, and this is the one thing I got really, really right. As much as I got a lot wrong in this election, there's one thing I really got right, and all of the data points to it. You can, as a Republican, run on culture issues so long as your priorities are the economy and crime. Voters give you license to be a culture warrior if you take care of their pocketbooks. But at the end of the day, the data is very, very compelling. Independent voters and 13% of Republicans didn't know what they would get with the GOP in charge. Would they get election denialists who wanted to nurse past grievances at the expense of everything else, or would they get people who wanted to be good stewards of the economy? They weren't sure, so they stayed with the status quo they know and hate instead of going with chaos. The bottom line for this entire election, all of the data points to this. Voters are tired of chaos. Voters are tired of chaos. Republicans could not promise them calm in the storm, and so they stayed with the status quo that they have learned to navigate over the past two years. The good news for the GOP is that this is very fixable. Move on from past grudges. Move on from 2020 election denialism. Move on from Donald Trump if you can. You've got a path forward out of Florida that will resonate with independent and Republican voters around the nation. You don't have to give up on the culture. You don't have to think the wokes won. You don't have to think progressives are dominant now. What you have to recognize is that you failed to perform in ways you should perform because the voters weren't sure what you would give them and they're exhausted. Voters are tired of chaos and they thought the Republicans would give them that. That's why the wave we all thought was coming didn't come. Independent voters and 13% of Republican voters are exhausted and they're ready to move on. And the message from Republicans seemed to be we're just going to keep nursing past grievances instead of moving on. You move on with a hopeful message for the future, you're going to win. And guess what? The Democrats are now shackled to Joe Biden for 2024. If you change and offer them something new and optimistic, you're going to win. The data bears that out. The Republican generic candidates, the sweater vest Republicans, they all won on election day. It was the the iconoclast doing bad impressions of Trump who lost everywhere. That should tell you where we need to go in the future if we're going to win in two years. Americans for Prosperity plays to win. That matters a lot to me. I know a lot of D.C.-based organizations that just want to pass paper around to other Beltway insiders or claim they speak for everyday Americans without ever having to leave Washington, D.C. Americans for Prosperity is different. They're not a think tank. They're grassroots do tank. Americans for Prosperity is a -a one-of-a-kind, freedom-oriented, limited government advocacy and accountability organization that actually takes action to expand opportunity for all Americans and defend your freedom of speech. 
They're doing great work at all levels of government. What's their secret? Well, they don't really rely on Washington. They built a network of concerned citizens who are stepping up for freedom in communities all around the country. If you want to learn more, if you want to find out how to get involved with Americans for Prosperity with a chapter near you, and I assure you, they have a chapter near you, check them out at americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. That's americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Hello, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, happy to hear from you. Uh, I got to read you a comment that I got. What I walked through with you at the beginning of this program was just what the data shows, not, not my opinion on the data, is what the data shows. We now have the data. Before the, before the election, we had opinion polling. We now have the data of the people who actually voted. And those of us who got a lot wrong can take that data and figure out how to fix it so that we get it right the next time. That's the purpose of having the data. So I wrote about it this morning. You should actually subscribe to my Substack. You can actually get it. It's not behind a paywall or anything. If you text Eric to three three seven seven seven, click that top link. You can read it. It's three three word um, three pieces down. The title of the piece is "The Election Was a Little Bit of Everything." Because if you say it was about Trump, well, it was. If you say it was about abortion, well, it was. If you say it was about uh, candidate equality, it was. You say it was about messaging, it was. You say it was about early vote, it was. In fact, the GOP needs an early voting strategy. You're not going to get rid of early voting, so you need a strategy. You used to have one, uh, and then Republicans got talked out of the early vote. But I So I wrote about that, and it was completely, it's just what the data shows. This is a comment. I don't agree It's not about voters now, or not about votes now, it's about ballots. As long as there is mail-in balloting, the Republicans will never win. Trump is the reason we are a party that matters now. The old guard like you, Eric, is a relic. Why do you think the Democrats were so smug and didn't debate? They knew. Tell me, Eric, the only state who does it right is Florida. Are they only the state who went red? Does that make any sense? They can't cheat there. Stop the blame game, Eric. You are biased because you work with evil on CNN. You can't bring yourself to say your profession is evil. You're a Christian, yet you defend Satan. Shame on you. No wonder Rush didn't let you fill in. You have changed. You went with the devil. All I did was tell the dude what the data said. Uh, By the way, 5 million people cast an early vote in Florida. I think he might have missed that. Also, um, Republicans in Arizona are actually winning pretty big, just not Carrie Lake and Blake Masters. And in North Carolina, Republicans got a supermajority in their state Senate, are one vote shy of a supermajority in their state House, won their state Supreme Court. Pretty big night for the GOP. Um, I, I, I just, I've got to say this. If you run away from... The early vote, you are going to lose. You're not going to get rid of early voting in this country anymore. You're not going to get rid of the early mail-in balloting in this country anymore. So you either have to find a way to use it to your advantage or else you're going to keep losing. You are. These are things the Republicans have to think about. Now, what about the future of the party? When we come back, some interesting data on that as well. 
Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let's get to Charles waiting patiently. Charles, welcome to the show. Yes, uh, Eric. How you doing? Good. How are you? Okay. If the vote comes 216 to 218 for the Republicans, uh, but could any of the Republican move over and want to vote Democrat and Pelosi, could, could she still get the House? Oh, yeah, they, they absolutely could. Um, they, they totally could uh, vote for Pelosi and keep her a Speaker of the House. They could uh, cut all sorts of deals. I don't think that happens given the makeup of the House Republicans, but what I do think happens is the GOP is going to have to come to some sort of internal consensus. Uh, So just, and and Charles, thanks for the phone call. Let me give people a lay of the land here. Um, There are 20 seats outstanding to be called in the House of Representatives, a lot of them in California. Very, very close. There are a couple in Arizona. Very, very, very uh, close situation. However, um, of those 20 seats, 10 could break either way. The majority, however, appear to go to Republicans. The overnight counting in Arizona in California suggests the Republicans will get at least 219, possibly 220 seats in the House. You need 218 to have a majority. So they'll basically have a two or three seat majority in the House of Representatives. I want to play some audio for you. This is uh, my dear friend, Russ Vote. Russ Vote is now he's got a think tank in D.C. He was the Office of Management and Budget Director for Donald Trump. He was on Fox News. Listen to Russ. Look, I think that when you need a paradigm shifting speaker, I think you need someone that's going to wake up every morning and think that this is we need to take it to the adversary. And I think that's someone like Jim Jordan, someone that comes from the conservative side uh, and has an opportunity to be able to unite House Republicans and do battle with the left, do battle with the deep administrative state that exists, is woke and weaponized against the American people. But it doesn't necessarily have to be him. Someone will rise up. I think what's important for this next week when they have the cartel vote next week, and it's not the real vote. The real vote is in, in January. When they have this vote, I think it's important for enough House Republicans, House Freedom Caucus, to stand and say, we're done with this. We're done with kind of the cartel speaker, the peacetime speaker. We want real change. We actually want to save the country in this late hour, and we want someone else. And then a lot of things can happen once you put down the, the, the current candidate in Kevin McCarthy. My friend Russ Vote is the head of the Center for Renewing America. Think Tank in Washington, D.C. He was with Heritage Action for America. He worked for Mike Pence. He became the OMB director for Donald Trump. He believes Republicans need to get rid of Kevin McCarthy and not make him Speaker of the House. Russ Vogt is absolutely right. Now, I want to tread carefully here with a variety of friends on this. I would prefer someone like Chip Roy to be Speaker of the House, someone who has principles, who you know where he stands on the issues, who is uh, uncompromisingly conservative and willing to fight and is very, very smart, 
who also understands you have to build coalitions and sometimes you can't get everything you want. I think Chip would be ideal. The problem is that when you have a 219, 220 seat majority, so you really only have a two to three seat, maybe a five seat majority, you're not going to be able to do that. You're going to have to find a caretaker, if you will. In fact, I have a suggestion. Based on the data, Republicans lost a majority of independents. They lost about 13% of their own Republican voters, and they did so in large part because voters are afraid Republicans will continue to offer up chaos. Voters as a whole are ready to move on from the era of Donald Trump. So I don't think you can put Kevin McCarthy in a speaker and send the signal to the American people that we got your message. I mean, here's the the thing. This is ultimately, this is the big issue. The data showed a Republican wave was building. Everyone, Democrat, Republicans, all the media pundits, everyone expected there to be a Republican wave. It did not show up. It did not come. Everyone was surprised. On both sides, everyone was surprised. I don't think you can reward the leader of the House Republicans with the speakership when voters largely rejected him and any sort of message he was peddling and didn't buy into it. If there is a common strain among the voters who decided to go for Biden in ways they normally don't, it's they don't want chaos. They don't want the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, frankly, whether you like her or not. And they certainly don't want a man who condemned Donald Trump then ran off to Mar-a-Lago and has been humping his leg ever since in the speaker's chair. It is not a smart thing for the GOP to go with the status quo when voters signal to them, we would rather Joe Biden's status quo than what you're offering right now. And what Republicans are offering is Kevin McCarthy of the speaker's chair. It's not a wise thing to do. If I could offer a suggestion to House Republicans with a very narrow majority, it's this. Restructure and rethink the way the speaker's chair operates. You have a very narrow margin. So put in a speaker whose job is to preside over the whole house and you control the speaker's chair, but let the house majority be the one who controls the composition of committees. Remove the speaker from that position and put it to the house majority leader. Right now, the speaker gets a strong say in who is on each committee. Take the speaker out of that fight that neutralizes parts of the antagonism needed to build a coalition for the speaker. Then allow those committees to actually work. Let the committees actually draft the legislation. Let the committees actually be the the key organizer for the agenda, not the speaker, not the leadership. So each individual member of the House can do what each individual member of the House is expected to do. Write legislation, drop it in the hopper, have it referred to a committee, have the committee shape it, compromise with the Democrats on key points and get it to the floor. Let the legislating process work as the legislating process was designed to work with the speaker just overseeing the orderly flow of things. Republicans do not have a strong enough majority to have a strong enough speaker to do anything without alienating one side of the Republican Party or the other. So find a caretaker. 
let the House Majority Leader lead and make the tough decisions internally within the party so you're not compromising the power of the Speaker every other day with him alienating members of the party. You got to rethink this with a majority that small. Otherwise, you're going to be ousting speakers every other day. Who is going to want the speaker's chair? Take the power from the speaker, give it to your majority leader, and proceed from there. And in two years, if you expand your numbers, you can rethink it and reshape it. You could even structure the rules that they get revised by the speaker after the next election. Put it in writing. Limit the speaker's power now. It's going to be very hard to get anything accomplished in the next two years. But the message from voters in the data from election night is that they don't want chaos. So what you as a Republican in Congress have to do is figure out how can we make the House majority less chaotic? And there are a few things you can do. You can marginalize your version of the squad. In 2020, The squad on the Democratic side nearly cost the Democrats their House majority, and nobody saw that coming either. And this year, the data overwhelmingly suggests the Republican version of that squad, not only some of them nearly lost their seats like Lauren Boebert, who I actually really like, but they also alienated a lot of independent voters. You don't want to make Marjorie Taylor Greene the face of your party when voters are telling you they don't want chaos, they want leadership and governance and adults. There are ways forward for the GOP to proceed. But I don't think the GOP can credibly move forward without actually rejecting Kevin McCarthy. I don't think Kevin McCarthy has earned the top spot. Kevin McCarthy was expecting an election wave. He thought they would win 30, 40, 50, 60 seats in the House. They've barely won anything. Kevin McCarthy could not deter Donald Trump from making some bad picks that cost the GOP several GOP seats. The GOP lost a Republican seat in Washington state. They lost Republican seats in Michigan. They've lost Republican seats around the country that were and should have been easy Republican pickups. You can't reward the status quo for that, and the status quo is Kevin McCarthy. There must be a change. The man has coveted that job relentlessly. And the voters on Tuesday said Kevin McCarthy does not deserve that job. Why would you put him there, Republicans? When you put Kevin McCarthy in the speaker's seat, what you are doing is telling all those voters you expected to vote for you last week who wound up going into the polls and not voting for you, you're telling them you didn't hear them, you didn't listen to them, and you don't respect what they think. And the next time the backlash is going to be even worse for you, this is a simple calculation. Find someone who's liked by everyone who can be a good steward and caretaker of the House of Representatives and then put a lot of the power in the majority leader's position so he can internally within the majority conference make the tough decisions and remove the speaker from those tough decisions while the speaker's job is to make sure the House operates as designed where individual members will draft the legislation, not leadership. Nothing will be top down. Everyone will have time to read the legislation. The pace will slow down the legislating will improve, and compromise will be necessary. It's what the founders intended, and both sides have taken a very top-down, rush-everything-through approach, sight unseen. You can't do that when you have a very slim majority. And that'll actually be good for the American people because by slowing it down and making the process more transparent, 
you will actually improve the trust of the institution with the American people. Now, back to the phones. Greg, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show. Hey, Eric, really enjoy your show today. One thing that stood out to me, and I think where the Democrats really got it and really padded the number, are college campuses. Yeah. I was seeing 97, 98% Democrat, and, and that be, might be where also the single women number comes from, too. But, man, if Republicans can't figure that out, there's always going to be a huge advantage. And I, and I think it goes back to the early voting, uh, voting by mail, and they've figured that out because typically college students don't typically vote in that way. Yeah, you know, so you're right. Um, they did a very good job. Now, they were still, Gen Z, 29 and under, were still the smallest turnout, but they voted decisively, like 90-some-odd percent for the Democrats. That's got to trouble Republicans. And also, there's been a massive investment by conservatives in uh, college groups around the country, and those college groups have clearly failed to do anything. It seems like it's a monumental waste of donor money to maintain a bunch of college groups for conservatives uh, when uh, th- that generation is breaking so decisively to the left. That's that's a real problem. Um, they're going to have to figure something out. Well, you know, one of the groups that's actually helping figure this stuff out and, and doing a good job studying the exit polling and providing uh, legitimate data for the GOP and for conservatives to move forward is Americans for Prosperity. You might want to become a member. They have local chapters around the country. Instead of being a think tank, they're more of a do tank uh, around the country. They actually teach you how to be an activist, teach you how to go to your school board to make a pitch, teach you how to run for office, teach you how to go to your state legislature and, and talk to them about issues. They provide you white papers. They provide you uh, easy talking points, and they're happy on the ground to answer questions so that you can develop your knowledge and information base and be the most informed person showing up when you want to speak to your local government. Americans for Prosperity has been doing this for a long time. I've been a big fan of theirs for years. I'm happy to be a fellow of theirs now and on an advisory board forum. I want you to consider being a part of them. Wherever you live, they probably have a campus or a, a state chapter near you. If not, you might be able to start one for them. Americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. If you believe in free markets and free people, that's an organization for you. They're uncompromising in their beliefs that free markets and free people are the way to move forward. Americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. 877-973-7425 is the phone number. Text the word Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. Click that top link. You can see my dive into the data from Election Day. Uh, You can see for yourself why a red wave did not appear when so many, myself included, thought it was coming. Uh, The Democrats really breathed a sigh of relief. There is one serious upside to this. There really is, and I, I need to note this. Republicans are a little bit despondent and shaken this week, given what happened last week. No red wave appeared when all the data suggested it was coming. There is one silver lining for the GOP. If they can get it right, if they can understand you do need to kind of move on from Donald Trump if you want to get Trump-like policies, it has to be someone else as a standard bearer, unassociated, unconnected to, uh, unshackled from Donald Trump. You can win in 2024 because the voters really don't like Joe Biden. And it was so surprising that Joe Biden's party did well. This is the first time since World War I 
the incumbent president's party did not lose Senate seats in a midterm. First time since World War One that this has not happened. So far, it might if Herschel Walker wins in the December runoff in Georgia. But that means Joe Biden now gets to be his party's nominee in 2024 if he wants it. And he says he does. And he says he's running. And the voters really don't like him. They just didn't know what they were getting with the GOP, so they decided to go with the status quo they don't like as opposed to something they might not like at all. You provide them an optimistic, happy warrior in 2024 who is not shackled to Donald Trump, you're probably going to blow the roof off this thing and win big. Voters, I can't express this enough, all of the data showed the voters who voted on Election Day independence in particular don't like the economy, don't like the wokes, don't like progressives, don't like Joe Biden, don't like the Democrats, but they knew what they would be getting with them, and they're not sure which variety of Republican they're going to get. You provide a new leader who is not like the last leader, you have the opportunity to advance the last leader's overall agenda with a happy warrior face who the voters aren't thoroughly exhausted of. There is a way forward and a good one for the GOP here. Now, when we come back, I do want to take some phone calls, 877-973-7425, but we've also got more we have to discuss. Particularly, we need to talk about the economy and the collapse of FTX. Major billionaire Democratic donor helped them fund the midterms and is now worth exactly $1 and has gone on the run to avoid arrest. His family highly plugged into the Democratic Party. Scandal in the making for sure. Going to really harm the trust of cryptocurrency for a lot of people. But the economy is troubling. Jeff Bezos gave an interview, basically said bad things are coming. Uh, you should start cutting back. I want to play the audio from his interview uh, and more on the economy, what the Republicans can do to counter it, particularly when they only control potentially one house of the U.S. Congress, but they still have a lot of governors in a lot of states out there who can make a big difference for the American public and understand Joe Biden is going to get a lot of blame because presidents do. The exit polling overwhelmingly shows voters do blame Joe Biden and the Democrats for the economy. What's just remarkable here is that the data also shows they just decided to stick with that because they just weren't comfortable with what the GOP would offer in return. Um, and there's interesting polling out of the state of Texas. Donald Trump was up a month ago in Who Do You Want to Be President? And there's been a 17, no, a 30-some-odd point shift to Ron DeSantis among Texas Republicans. I've got that data when we come back. <laughs> 